The following audio is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that this recording will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Bride adorned for her husband. 
heaven. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And I find that some version has peoples there too. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give him a gift from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So let's pray. Father, we do just ask that as we look into this portion of your word, that you might guide our thinking, that you might encourage us because of it, and we would really just give you thanks that you would provide it for us. And in the midst of a current uh, climate around the world, difficulties we, we see all about us, we thank you that we have this uh, wonderful encouragement, and we pray that you would just open it up to us this morning. We do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Revelation 21 is really the culmination of the entire Bible narrative. It's the, the consummation of God's plan of redemption. Now, from the moment that Adam and Eve thought it might be a really good idea to usurp the rule of God and then chose to eat the fruit that was forbidden to them, all of Scripture and all of human history has been moving towards that which John saw and described in Revelation 21. So this is the moment when hope becomes reality. The moment when hope becomes reality. And this is our big idea for this morning. Hope becomes reality. All that separates us from God, sin, death, the devil and his entourage, has been completely removed. The victory that Christ won on the cross, his resurrection, has now reached its conclusion. All that is described in the book of Revelation itself, the letters to the seven churches with their weaknesses and the promises given to those who overcome, the various visions which focus on the vindication of the saints over human and spiritual opposition, all this culminates in the vision of perfect peace and joy in the new heaven and the new earth and the coming of the new Jerusalem from God as a dwelling place of those named in the Lamb's book of life. The spiritual peace and joy that we might enjoy now as God's people is really just a foretaste of that which is to come when we will bask in the unmediated presence of God for eternity. Now verses uh, 1 to 8 of Revelation 20 describe the vision somewhat broadly. And verses 9 to 27 and chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, 
offer greater detail. So if you want that greater detail, I commend you to read those extra bits. This morning, we're going to concentrate on these verses, 1 to 8, and we'll draw just occasionally on some of the other bits as we elaborate. So if you have your Bibles there, verses 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. For here is the fulfillment of the promise given by God and noted down by Peter in 2 Peter 3.13 where he writes, But according to his promise we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And this was the promise recorded by Isaiah in the second half of the 7th century BC in Isaiah 65 and verse 17, where he writes, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy of her people, to be a gladness. See, God's first creation is so tainted by sin and its consequences that it must be replaced. Now, there are arguments over what this means in the, uh, the literature. Is it a complete destruction of all that is and a complete remaking, that is a, a whole new creation, or is it, a, in a sense, a, a destruction of all that uh, the earth, as it currently stands, for, represents? All that is tainted, all that is is, if you like, a complete refurbishment, and in that sense it is completely new. Um, there's good scriptural um, support either way, but I'll offer a couple of thoughts. Uh, I tend to hold the view that um, we're thinking of a, if you like, a refurbishment, that is a renewal of the current earth, that the major renovation, so to speak. Um, in support of that, Romans 8, 18 and 22 seems to suggest a, some form of continuity. In verse 20, says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So it sounds like the creation as, as is, in a sense, being personified, is groaning and will change. It will actually experience a freedom when all is completed. I also find uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 quite compelling for the, the form of the language is the same as that used in Revelation 21, 1. So it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Well, the reality is we're still here. When we die, we'll receive a resurrection body. We'll still be the same person. We won't be completely eradicated and and uh, made something totally new, but we will be new. We will be a perfect being. The old has passed away. And I think the old that has passed away in that sense is the old in the sense of our being in Adam, and the new is our being in Christ, completely in, in, a, uh, in a full sense. Anyway, whichever position uh, is held, it doesn't matter in some ways in a great, de- a great deal. The important thing is that there is a new heaven and a new earth coming. All that corrupted the old uh, is gone and never to return. 
has been replaced by that which is holy and completely untainted. Heaven and earth have been brought together as a holy sanctuary populated by the redeemed and ruled over by God. And even the sea is no more, the passage tells us. And I thought, what's so bad about the sea? What's so unnecessary about the sea? Why has it been omitted from the new earth? Well, a couple of reasons came to mind. First, the sea separates us geographically. We are a bunch of lands, and we're separated by oceans. But in the new heaven, the new earth, we live together. We're no longer separated, even physically. In the ancient world, the sea was something to be feared. Seafarers tried to travel often with land in view because the sea was so unpredictable. Revelation chapter 20, when detailing the judging of the dead before the great white throne, we see mentioned that the sea passed up its dead or gave up its dead. The sea mentions specifically, it doesn't say the land gave up its dead. It says that the death of Hades gave up their dead. But it mentions the sea specifically. It seemed to be a place of threat. So that seemed to have been kept. And then in chapter 18, the chapter that deals with the fall of Babylon, uh, which probably represents Rome, and by extension all that seeks and promotes its glory and wealth apart from God, uh, refers to seafaring as a means of wealth creation. It may be then that the sea uh, represents self-sufficiency and seeking glory apart from God. And so the sea is no more, for we are united. The removal of the sea then probably uh, symbolizes the removal of all barriers to the harmonious unification of the redeemed to the glory of God. Now with the new earth and the new heaven established, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, comes down from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The old Jerusalem was the city in which was the temple, the place where God's people came to worship him. It represented God's presence with his people, but Jerusalem had turned away. Its people had become apostate. In Revelation 11.8, it is named as a place where their Lord was crucified. And note it doesn't say the Lord, it says their Lord, indicating that they, that is the uh, people of God, are the ones who had crucified Jesus. It's this, in the same verse, Jerusalem is said to be spiritually no different from Sodom and Egypt. And this was the, you know, indicated the extent of their rejection of God. However, Jerusalem remains the city of God, and it continues to contain the temple of God. Galatians 4.26 speaks of the Jerusalem that is above. And Hebrews 2.22 makes mention of the heavenly Jerusalem. And it's this heavenly Jerusalem, this heavenly temple, that comes down from God, and it is glorious. It's holy, and it's adorned as a bride for her husband. We know from Revelation 19, which speaks of the marriage supper of the Lamb, that the church is the bride of the Lamb and that she is dressed in fine linen, which represents the righteous deeds of the saints. Then add to this the elaboration of this vision of the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21, verses 9 and 10. It says, Then came one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, 
I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me what? the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. See, the new Jerusalem then represents both the future home of the saints, us, and our future state. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, his peoples. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. The presence of God people is a constant theme throughout the Bible. It's one of those unifying themes that, that links the Old and New Testament with the entire plan of God. In the, in the Garden of Eden, God was immediately present until Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then tried to hide from his presence. The restoration of the presence of God is then a thread that permeates God's plan of redemption from that point on. The idea that God dwells with his people is represented vividly in the tabernacle which the people of Israel carried through the wilderness into the promised land. God was seen in the pillar of cloud and in the pillar of fire, according to Exodus 13. And then there's the, the, prom, the covenant promise recorded in Leviticus 26, where it says, I will make my dwelling among you. My soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. And then again in Ezekiel 37, from verse 27, my dwelling place shall be with them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And it's pretty clear that uh, Revelation 21 draws from these, uh, these passages. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel, and my sanctuary is, is in their midst forevermore. And of course, we know, just from reading the Old Testament, that God is said to be present in the temple in Jerusalem. And then we move on to the New Testament. What do we find? We find that Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. And then in John 1, 14, it says, And the Word, that's Jesus, became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God present with us. The word dwelt is the word for tabernacle. And the glory is the Shekinah glory. That is the glory of God's presence. And this is the language then of Revelation 21, 13, where God dwells with his people eternally. This is the fulfillment of God's covenant promise uh, made possible by the person and work of Jesus. And we can look forward to enjoying the wonder of the glory of God's presence and God's rule in God's kingdom forever. And nothing, nothing will do to this. This is the scripture of the moment when hope becomes reality. All of life's sorrows and the consequences and effects of sin will be no more. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. 
neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the realization of the hope borne by the faith listed in Hebrews chapter 11, where it says at the verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they they desire a better country. Isn't that true of us? We desire a better country. We look around in our masks, hear terrible news reports from all around the world. Don't we desire a better country? That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God has done that because God has prepared for us a city. It's our hope because it was the hope of those those whose stories are recorded in Hebrews 11. We desire that better country. better city, the new Jerusalem being that better country. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now here, God actually speaks for the first time. It's obvious that God is behind everything in the book of Revelation. Here he actually speaks for the first time. What does he have to say? Well, first he says, Behold, I am making all things new. And this is really the theme verse of the whole section, this whole section of uh, Scripture. Of interest is the fact that the word make, while referring to the making of the new heaven and the new earth in this context, is also used in the context of redemption elsewhere. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 to 10, for example, says this, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seal. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom, and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The word made here is the same as the word made or make in chapter 21. So our being a new creation, as it did Philippians chapter 5, is preparation for the final new creation in eternity as God's people living under God's rule. Secondly, God tells John to write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So God actually wants us to know this stuff. He wants us to trust in the fact that we, we are that, that what we now know as a hope is not some pie-in-the-sky hope. It is, in fact, a certainty. We're called upon both as individual Christians and as the church to trust God, for He is trustworthy and true. To do so will give us cause to hope, no matter how difficult, difficult our circumstances Uh, since those circumstances are in fact temporary and the new thing God is making is eternal. 
30, he says, it is done. See, all that God had planned has come to its, to its fruition. Jesus, uh, Jesus ushered in the beginning of this final stage of the plan of salvation when, as he died, he said, it is finished. And then in Revelation 16, 17, um, as, the, as the angel uh, pours out the seventh bowl of God's wrath, the words, it is done, are spoken from the temple, ushering in the end of the evil order and the final judgment. Now here, all is complete. Salvation has been bought and paid for. God's judgment upon all his enemies is complete also. And now he has made all things new. God has made an eternal home where God dwells with his people and is their God forever. Fourthly, God declares his sovereignty. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And he's repeating there the words of Revelation 1.8. See, all of human history has been under his control, including the circumstances we live in today. Why? Because he's sovereign and he can be trusted in the midst of uncertainties and the corruptions of the world in which we now live. And finally, God gives water without payment to those who are thirsty. Now, the thirsty are those who have placed their faith in Christ. When we think of the thirsty, we're possibly reminded of the offer of living water to the woman of Samaria in John 4, or later uh, in John 7, when Jesus declared, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In the new Jerusalem, the spring of the water of life is always freely available. Revelation 22 tells us that the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, and that the tree of life grows on either side of the river and bears a constant supply of fruit, guaranteeing eternal life. This is given because God has already paid the price in Jesus' death and won the victory in his resurrection. Verse 7. The one who conquers, pick up on the word conquers, will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all lies, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. These final verses of this section are really something of an, an aside. The kinds of people listed in verse 8 have already been dealt with, and that's mentioned in previous chapters, in the earlier chapters of um, Revelation. They are no longer in the picture. Their sentence has already been carried out. And thus it would appear that these, um, these verses are a reminder to the conquerors while we're living here on earth. Remember, you know, John was writing for those that he lived amongst, and he's writing to us today. We're reminded to continue to be conquerors. This is the challenge given to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. It remains a challenge for us and all who follow Jesus and all who have ever followed Jesus or ever will follow Jesus. Sometimes it's tough. You know, we're caught up in that besetting sin. Or we find the demands and the disappointments of life sometimes overwhelming. The godlessness all around us seems to have the upper hand, and we feel kind of powerless. 
in many places of the world, God's people are confronted with violent opposition on a daily basis. But in the light of what is to come, we're reminded to be conquerors, not cowards. We're reminded to be conquerors, not cowards. 1 John 3, I think, uh, presents a challenge in a really helpful way. Sometimes this passage is called the Visio Dei or the Beatific Vision. And it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. That's our present state. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Hence the opposition. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. That vision of Christ will transform us. And everyone, note this carefully, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So there's a challenge in this. As we anticipate what is to come, we are challenged to live like Christ. We're challenged to live transformed lives. Romans 8 has another angle. Or I think it's from verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Different perspective. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So, just as uh, 1 John 3 calls us to be transformed lives, lives aligned with Christ, to imitate Christ in the way we live. So this passage calls us to live patiently for that which is to come. The hope drives us to patience. Though we're strengthened, we're encouraged, we're motivated, and we're inspired to take up our crosses daily, to follow Jesus, for we can be assured that the hope for which we long as a hope to live eternally in the presence of God and among his people, will be realized. It will become our lived experience. Our present hope will become reality. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the encouragement for the hope that's embedded in this passage that there will come a point in time when all that is evil and wrong with the world will be done away with and there will be something new in its place. And that we will be able to enjoy the privilege of living with our God forever. Uh, in his presence, in his place, that place over which he rules. And we'll be able to live uh, with one another, enjoy eternal fellowship that is characterized by love, by the love that you have given us. Thank you that sin will be done away with, that all brokenness will be removed and that things removed will point us to perfection, whereby you are glorified and we may bask in that. For this we give you thanks. Thanks for listening to this audio from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.